Will the Braves overcome a painful Sunday in Seattle to get back into first? We talk about this a lot, how these guys are never out of a game. They keep fighting back. Welcome to the Braves Report, the new podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that takes you inside the clubhouse and gives you the stories behind the score. I'm Jay Black with AJC Braves beat reporter Justin Toscano coming to us from Seattle now. He'll be in San Francisco when you hear this on Monday. And the Braves go from first place to a chaotic ninth inning. How should we feel about this weekend? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, you can look at it a couple ways. Some people will only look at the results because that's all that matters. You had first place on Friday night after that win. You're now a game and a half out. Uh, you could be a half game out, but we had that wild ninth inning that all of us witnessed here. Um, I honestly think this team is fine, though, and I know nobody wants to hear that after a loss like that, but look, down to your last strike, you hit two home runs. Um, you score five runs in the ninth against two of their best relievers, and you almost steal a victory here. You almost steal two or three on a day when you otherwise look lifeless. Uh, and then Kenley Jansen goes out, uh, blows the save, um, and that wasn't good. But I think, I think this is one of those where so many crazy things happen. You just flush it. You move on. It's a very winnable series in San Francisco. Um, the team has played well to this point. Like you don't see any signs of them playing super poorly I, I mean i just for the most part the mariners just outplayed them this week and that's going to happen the mariners are a team that will probably make the playoffs uh, and could make a nice run like it's a great atmosphere here they've got a deep pitching staff a good lineup like sometimes you tip your cap um but and we'll get into it as we always say but that ninth inning was ugly all right coming up what Brian Stinker and Keeley Jansen had to say about that dramatic ninth inning. Plus, we will size up the pennant chase between the Braves and the Mets with three weeks to go. We'll also break down what some of the Braves think of the big rule changes coming next year, and we'll also have our Ask Justin segment. If this is your first time listening to the show, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. The Braves Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is brought to you by Kroger. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, now that baseball is in pennant chase mode, make sure you start your morning with AJC.com slash Braves in our daily chase for the NL East update. Find out exactly where the Braves and where the rest of the National League contenders stand as they battle for seeding in the postseason. You'll see it all in one spot on AJC.com slash Braves. And when you go there, you will see the Braves down a game and a half to the Mets. And, and Justin, if this ninth inning never happens and the Braves lose by four, it's just one of those Sunday losses that will seem to happen every Sunday when we do our show. But the Braves still had a winning reek, and it's on to San Francisco. But was that just another loss? Yeah, I think you have to view it that way. Like, the, you know, like, I get it. Like, the baseball fan in me says, of course, that's not just another loss. But the reporter in me says, that's another loss. Like, I think... I understand why Braves fans would be upset. That was ugly. Uh, it underscored what could be potentially a big issue heading down the stretch um, with Kenley's performance. But, you know, would you rather them look lifeless and 
not have not have come back. Like I, I almost like if it's if you're willing to say that it's just this brutal, gut wrenching, awful, horrible, terrible loss, it was it was only that way because they put together this miraculous comeback in front of a sold out crowd and stunned everybody in Seattle, including the guys in the opposite dugout, um, for a little bit. And then you know what happened with Kenley only happened because of that. Like it's like you said, it's another one of those sleeper snoozer. Sunday day game losses, oh, the Braves offense, Sunday day game, you know, lose a series here, you pack it up and go to San Francisco. It only looks worse because they they made it a game and they took the lead. Um, but you just have to treat it like another one of those losses, especially when the team you're rooting for, if you're a Braves fan, has been almost 40 games over 500 since the start of June. Like, this is a very good team. This team doesn't have many holes. There are not many cracks. Um I would say the foundation in terms of talent, chemistry, everything else is very solid, very good. Like this is going to be a team that's probably not going to collapse down the stretch. Like they're going to win a lot of games, finish the rest of the year. They've got 22 games left uh, as we sit here speaking right now. Um, They're going to be fine. It just doesn't feel like that when you see your team turn what was probably the best win of the season into one of the most stunning losses of the season in a matter of 15 minutes. That being said, we may have a Kenley Jansen situation. We certainly do right now. Here's what he said on Sunday. I can't let this bother me, man. I've been through this situation so many times, and it could look ugly right now, but, yeah. you know, for all you guys, but I know who I am inside, deep inside, and, you know, you just got to stay patient with it. You know, stay patient with it. Like I said, nothing bothers me in this game. I've been through plenty, and... You know, one thing I'm going to tell you, it's not going to happen. It's, this is going to take my confidence away for sure not. So, um, you know, we just got to keep going. Tomorrow's another day, and we'll fight through it. And here's Brian Snicker. The last five outings, he's had three saves. He's pretty good Friday night. He's had bad days all. He's leading the league in saves. Kinley was really good on Friday night, but it has not been a great month. Is this getting too much to ignore? Yeah, I don't I – don't. I don't think you can ignore it, but the Braves are in a pretty tough spot because, you know, you give this guy a good, a, you know, big contract for a reliever, a closer, one-year deal. Um, you can't really remove him from the closer spot unless it gets a lot worse. I mean, I guess you could work Rysel Iglesias in a little more, but certainly there are concerning signs. Um and let's preface by saying, you know, in fairness to Kenley, he's had a terrific career. Like, he's pitched well at points this season. He's probably going to pitch well after this season. He's one of the best closers in the game um, when he's on. And he might have the best active, you know, resume of any active closer right now. He, he's done so much. But since the start of August, he's only had four clean innings. Um, he's walked the tightrope a little bit, even in games he hasn't saved. Like uh, the Colorado one comes to mind, one of those games. Um, and, you know, games in August. I, I think that's who he's been through parts of this season, um, and he's gotten out of them a lot. He does lead the National League with 33 saves, but he's also blown seven saves. And that's going to happen. That's the life of a closer, like Brian Snicker always says. But I think it looks a little worse when you've got a guy like Iglesias who you acquired at the trade deadline, um, who is another closer, another proven closer, whose stuff has looked great, who has pitched really well for you so far um, when he's in that same bullpen. So I don't know, you know, 
Kenley could just turn this around. He's been so good. He has practice at just moving on from these and moving forward, putting him in the rearview mirror. You heard him. He was pretty sure that his confidence was not going to be shaken by this. But if you're the Braves, you look at this one happened, you know, in Seattle. One of them happened in Milwaukee. One of them happened, you know, recently in St. Louis. Um, a lot of these, you know, the Dodgers had one. A lot of these better teams, the teams they might be facing in the postseason, have done well against Kenley. And, and I think it's, it is a little bit of, a bit of an issue, but I think if you look around baseball, we're hyper-focused on the Braves, of course, but if you look around baseball, there's a lot of bullpen issues, closer issues. The Braves have the least of the bullpen issues, honestly. They're a you know, great team. They don't really have any huge glaring holes, but, I mean, it does make you wonder if they think about putting Iglesias in there for at least a couple save opportunities here and there. We will address that in a second. We also want to point out that the AJC's budget for this podcast has increased, and Justin has his own cheering section every time he makes a point on the podcast. So that's what that's going on in the background. Actually, there's an <laughs> event going on at T-Mobile Park right now uh, while we record this. Yeah, the, the cheering section works better, though. I feel like we're kind of in, in studio here, and I'm looking over at them every time I make a point. I think they liked what I said about Kenley Jansen. Now, as for your follow-up to Brian Snitker about the closer situation. Would you ever use Iglesias for any of those ninth-inning opportunities, or would you just stick with Kenley? Yeah, the last five saves. Uh, I'm, you know, he's done really good. I said he's leading the National League in saves. You know, he had a bad day today. We saw this last year with Will Smith. Why would anybody expect anything different with a guy who may go in the Hall of Fame? Yeah. No, that's, that's, a, good, that's a good question. I mean, Will Smith ends up having one of the most incredible runs for a reliever in postseason history. Kenley Jansen could very well do the same. Um, but, I mean, I think you look at, you know, his end of his tenure with the Dodgers, uh, who, you know, maybe had seen something and decided they had other needs to fill before addressing, you know, the closer situation. Um, and now their closer, you know, they pulled Craig Kimbrell out of the job, you know, recently, so they might be a bad example. But I think Kenley Jansen can turn this around. I mean, he's an elite guy for a reason. He's got a track record for a reason. You know, Brian Snicker's not wrong. He did have a bad day, but it does get a little concerning. And I think Brian Snicker actually sold him a little short. I think he'd saved four out of five um, since that blown save in St. Louis before this one. He's just, he's got a track record. You trust him, and the Braves are in a tough spot. You don't pull a guy like Kenley Jansen out of the closer role when you signed him for that um now the postseason usage could be a little different but I think he just profiles so much as a ninth inning guy like I don't know how that would you know because if you take him out of that spot um you've got to find another role for him and I think that would be tough I mean I would I would guess they probably think about it and they probably think about the different scenarios but snick curve you know when I asked that question you need to ask the question but He's he has a you know a right to defend his guy publicly, and uh, you know you respect him doing that. Um, it's what a good manager does, uh, you know. And he he backed him publicly, but uh, you know don't think that they don't see Kenley some of Kenley's recent performances. In other news, who won the battle between the two hot shot center fielders this weekend? Uh, well, I mean, I had Michael Harris penciled in with that the uh, three run bomb to cut the lead to a run that he bounced off the glass of the upper deck yeah yeah a 433 foot shot that 
I'm not sure if it's. I'm not sure if it's. I wouldn't be sure if it had landed um, if I didn't see it hit that glass. So he was our front runner, and then Julio Rodriguez comes out and hits a ball 117 miles an hour off Kenley. Uh, I they've got to be a dead heat, right? Like two 21 year olds, <laughs> yeah. two 21 year olds, both having multi homer games in the same game. It's. I mean, <laughs> it's it's pretty incredible. Uh, those two are are going to be a lot of fun to watch for a long time. Oh, by the way, the Braves did spend one day in first place this season. No, it's good. Yeah, that's why we're playing these games is to try and win the division. That's our goal. When we left spring training, our goals, number one goal is to, to win the division. Guys, have, I, I think they've been great in their approach and, and how they come to work. And, and um, uh, you know, so it's good. That was snit on Friday night. Braves do drop a game and a half back. Now certainly lost a little bit of momentum. Who is the better team? I honestly think it's the Braves. Um, and on this podcast, I'm always very, very quick to say I am the furthest thing from a homer. I will be extremely objective um, with the people I cover. But the Braves are just a better team. Um, and I think, look, the Mets have not played bad baseball since the start of June. I think when I looked, when the Braves took over first place, the Mets had still been 15 or 17 games, somewhere around there, over 500 since the start of June. The Mets have played really good baseball. The Braves' solution to that was just to play better baseball somehow. Um, The Braves have been almost 40 games over 500 since the start of June, like we mentioned a few minutes back. Um, And I just think that they don't have the type of glaring holes that the Mets do. I think the Mets... The Braves can win in more ways than the Mets can. The Mets have a pretty specific recipe sometimes for winning games. I think their road gets a lot tougher if their starters don't go at least seven innings um, and then if Edwin Diaz doesn't pitch on a given day. They don't hit for as much power as the Braves do. Uh, They might be a better contact team, but sometimes that goes well. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, I think the Mets have... If you think the Braves have bullpen issues, look at the Mets and what they've done, especially against bad teams. Uh, you know, other than Edwin Diaz. So I think the Mets have bullpen issues. I think their lack of power is going to hurt them in in some respect at some point down the line. Um, And I just think the Mets are getting there, and they've made a huge jump this year, and they should be commended for that. But I think the Braves, with the core they have from Acuna to Olsen to Riley um, to now Harris uh, to free everybody, top to bottom, they've got a better roster than than the Mets do. Um, And I think that you know, that's going to serve them well going forward, especially in those three games at Truist Park in a series that looks like it's going to be for the world, basically. Those of a certain age, including me, uh, will remember the feeling, you know, 1993 when, you know, the all-time division race between the Braves and the Giants where both teams won over 100 games. You had to win every game in front of you because the consequences were you didn't make the playoffs if you didn't win the division. Obviously, things have changed with the wild card. But do you feel any sort of sense of pennant race scoreboard watching because of the consequences of having to play the extra series now yeah I think even if they don't say it I mean I think players are I mean I asked a couple guys about that and they're like it's pretty obvious this year the for those who don't know the loser of this series or of this pennant race is going to the wild card series it's a three game series this year and I just think that just drains your pitching. Uh, it's a lot different if you go into a series with Max Fried, Spencer Strider, Kyle Wright, 
than um, if you do with somebody else. Uh, you want your top guys out there. And I do think there is a particular sense of urgency because of that. Can the Braves win if they don't win the division? Can they win it all? Yeah, of course. I think they've got the roster to be able to do that. Their pitching staff is deep. Uh, they can make up for it. But your road becomes a lot tougher if you don't win that division. It's a lot easier when you have that buy, uh, and you're going to be playing the team that just expended you know, a lot of its pitching, you would think, in that wild card series. And there's definitely, I think they're definitely aware of kind of the, there is no settling for a wild card. I think there's a lot of urgency. They're definitely aware of what winning the division gets you this year and the fact that those who do not win the division are going to be at a severe disadvantage. Hey, you got some terrific insight from Charlie Morton on how this team has pulled off three winning streaks now of at least seven games. It's more about caring about each other, picking each other up. And that's how you that's how you avoid like the bad ones, the bad streaks. You know, because I think people really really assume that like, if you have a really bad loss, you know, or you lose a couple games, that everything's wrong and everything has gone haywire. But really. Um, it's really more about what's going on in the clubhouse, what's going on with the individuals, and how the guys respond um, to each other and each other's challenges and successes. And that's what really helps iron out those difficult parts of the season. So, and it's also what helps you sustain success. Good workplace leads to good results. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just just before we get into that, I I haven't asked Charlie, but um, you know, if I, I hope he's still alive when I die, so <laughs> you know he can do my eulogy. I mean, that no, he is just so well spoken and so insightful, um, and just such a pleasure to cover because he he gives you stuff like that and actually thinks about what you're asking, and what he's saying is the result of kind of the. Anthopolis mindset uh, over his career. I think this is his 11th year as a GM um, and then fifth year with the Braves. And really back when he was with Toronto, he realized that he could stack as much talent on a roster that he wanted, but eventually they just weren't winning games consistently. And he was wondering like why that was. And when he began to focus a little more on the chemistry, he used to be a lot of talent a little chemistry. Now he's a lot of talent, but more chemistry. Um, when he started to focus on the chemistry, they started winning. And I think that's what you hear a lot. Like it's, it's a good clubhouse. Like Kyle Wright has said that multiple times after starts. Um, and guys, you know, guys mention that when you come to work and, and you know, it's going to be a good environment, that's a good thing. And then when you look at the roster in terms of what Charlie said, picking each other up, these guys have won the backs of Michael Harris and Vaughn Grissom, and they've won on the backs of Austin Riley and Matt Olson, and they've won on the back of Dansby Swanson, and they won on the backs of the pitchers. It's just being done in so many different ways. And Matt Olson told me recently that when that's happening, guys just don't feel pressure to shoulder the load. And that's a big thing come this time of year. Um, but I think the, a lot of what the Braves have done over you know, the time since Anthopolis took that job is 
due to having a great, you know, great makeup, the baseball word for character as a team, uh, and, and guys with great makeup, um, and great chemistry. Like they enjoy playing together. You look at last year's team and this year's team is right on par with that. Even though they lose Freddie, I mean, it's as good of an environment it seems as they've had there. Um, and that's, that's going to be big going forward and has paid dividends already. That being said, these are the schedules the rest of the way. For the Braves, at the Giants, home against the Phillies, the Nationals, at the Phillies, at the Nationals, home against the Mets, then at the Marlins. That is doable, but it's a little easier road for the Mets. They're at home against the Cubs, the Pirates, at the Brewers, at the A's, home against the Marlins, at the Braves, home against the Nationals. Yeah, that and, and that was the argument. I think, and we said it on this podcast, after really that that queens you know the series in queens in august i think and then the next one at truest is that the mets just have a ridiculously easy schedule going forward but they did not handle business against the nationals at home in a pennant race you have to win every game and they so they didn't really handle business that one day against pittsburgh they fell flat against miami they have had other games where they just they've been in kind of a rut and it really puts to rest the strength of schedule argument, you know, for that doubters used against the Braves. Like, I think you, you heard a lot of screaming from Queens around June about how the Braves' 14-game winning streak came against, uh, you know, a soft schedule. And so, I don't know. I'm not so inclined to think that the Mets are just going to roll through this. I mean, they've shown that they can lose two of three to to the Nationals, or they can lose to Pittsburgh. Like I, it's going to be interesting, especially if Taiwan Walker does not pitch better than he has in the second half. Especially if Carlos Carrasco continues to show cracks. What if they suffer one more rotation injury? The scary part to me, if I were a Mets fan, is that the recipe for success is seven innings or eight innings from a starting pitcher, and then get Edwin Diaz in there at some point, whether that's the ninth, the most important part of the eighth, whatever. That bullpen is going to burn them uh, in October. And it might burn them before that. Um, but they've got dead weight in the bullpen. They've got dead weight in terms of Darren Ruff, a deadline acquisition. Uh, they just did not, you know, they balanced the future and the present, and they kind of went with the future. And they they did they went all in in a census here, but they didn't make all the improvements they could, and, and it might burn them. Uh, and the Braves, on the other hand, have played well against anybody but if you're the Mets you looked at the Seattle series and the San Francisco series to you know extend that lead and then you look at the two series in Philly especially the one uh at Philadelphia um to do that and so the Braves have a slightly tougher schedule um but are the Mets going to take care of business against these easy teams when you're looking for leading cardiac treatment Look to Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with five emergency cardiac care centers, so we're here when you need us most. We lead with more than 55 locations in Georgia. That means we're always in the heart of your neighborhood. We lead with clarity, because clear direction is better when it comes to understanding every step of your treatment. Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with heart. The Braves Report is brought to you by Kroger. And all right, parents, Kroger Chef Jr. is back. If your kids are ready to learn, come join your local Kroger Chef for a guided kids' cooking experience making a lettuce wrap on September 24th at select Kroger locations. Each Kroger Chef Jr. is a 30-minute class where your child receives an apron, a patch, a chef's hat, 
recipe card, and box, and a whisk for only $7 per child. Register your time period today at KrogerChefJr.com. That is KrogerChefJr.com. All right, now let's dig into the new rules coming for 2023, which was the bombshell kind of dropped on baseball on Friday, even though we knew it was coming. And the headliner is, for 150 years, baseball's never had a clock. Now there's going to be lots of clocks. Yes, so we're going to have the pitch clock, which you hear ban the shift around different corners of baseball. But this pitch clock, I think, is the most divisive thing among baseball fans, players. Like, it's got the opportunity to to have some really good discussion around it. And we'll get to that. We've got a lot of sound that I got from the Braves. But in essence, a pitcher must begin his motion before the expiration of the timer. So pitchers are going to have up to 15 seconds between pitches when the bases are empty and up to 20 seconds between pitches when there's at least runner on base. Runner on base. So they tested this in AAA. They did um, 14 seconds for nobody on base and 18. Um, so they, you know, with somebody on base, so they increased it. Um, a pitcher can step off the rubber and, you know, reset the timer twice per plate appearance without penalty. So you've still got that. Um, a hitter must be in the batter's box and quote unquote alert to the pitcher, according to the league, with at least eight seconds remaining. So a hitter has one timeout per plate appearance, and that pitcher can step off the rubber twice per plate appearance. Um, and the penalty if the hitter violates the pitch clock, it's an automatic strike. If the pitcher does it, it's an automatic ball. Um, we'll get to the nuances of that, but. Here's really the stat you kind of need to know. Um, we will, as I said, get into everything. So maybe the AAA game isn't the same as the big league game. But the league said that compared to last season, the pitch timer has reduced the average nine-inning game by 26 minutes um, in AAA while increasing action on the field. So that's that's the pitch clock. That's getting it down from three hours and four minutes to 238, which is like pretty much – what it used to take to play nine innings of baseball. Right, right. And it's it's gotten too long. Uh, and and that's not as... I'd be careful to say that as a baseball fan and not as a media member who covers the games and works there daily. I think if it's three hours and ten minutes of action, that's terrific. People want to see that. But a lot of times, um, and Kyle Wright said this, a lot of times he feels like, you know, pitchers take or players take too long for no reason. Uh, and if if this can if this can increase action and just change the pace of the game, that's a good thing because it's not just lowering the time. It's not you know you hope these things don't create you know a two hour thirty eight minute game of twenty strikeouts, but you increase action if if that's going to be a part of it too. I mean, I think that's I think that's a good thing. All right, here's Kirby Yates admitting that he does want to see this play out, but here's where he stands now. I, I'm not necessarily a fan of it, to be honest with you. I think, you know, for me, they keep comparing the big league game to the minor league game, and, and I think they're completely different. I understand minor league games are quicker. Um, I'm sure the pitch clock helps that, but I, I don't think, really to me, that's a fair comparison because big leagues, everybody's playing for something. Minor leagues... You know, some organizations play to win, some don't. So it's it's a lot more about development down in the minor leagues than it is about winning a baseball game. Astro Snip. I experienced it when I was in AAA. Clock works. I think guys like it. Honestly, once they get once they get 
over the nuance of it. Do you think at the All-Star game next year, after we've done this for a half a season, people will be like, all right, it's not that bad? Yeah, I think it's probably one of those things um, that people will adjust to, even pitchers who don't like it. I, I think it is one of those changes that, on the surface, it's like, how is that going to work sometimes? But you look at what it's done to the game, I think it could be good. I mean, I think it guys will just work quicker and... Um, you know, it, I, I think it'll be fine. I think it'll do well. I think it's a good idea. I could see it going wrong for a couple reasons, though. One of them being, who's going to tell Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer to get back on the mound? Or who's going to tell Mike Trout that he struck out because he wasn't alert to the pitcher with eight seconds remaining on the clock? And then, so is there, is there going to be leeway? And then... More more action and more offense are two different things. So are we going to get to the point, and this, we saw a little bit of this with the three-better minimum rule, but what if a guy doesn't have it that day in the later innings? Is the solution to speed it up uh, in the eighth inning or the ninth inning if a guy doesn't have it or if it's a big moment in the game in the seventh? Um, we could see a lot of crooked numbers uh with this pitch clock because you just wonder, like I know Matt Olson, when I talked to him about it, wondered if pitchers were going to be able to throw max effort as often as they wanted to and execute those pitches within the parameters of the clock. Uh, but I, in general, like I just think this is a good thing. You want to, um, and I know a lot of players think, you know, well, people, you know, people watch college football for a long time or people watch long NFL games. Well, there's action every, you know, every second of it. Uh, and I think this, hopefully increases the action, hopefully makes games a little more streamlined and quicker for fans. Um, but, you know, it, it, we, there are a few questions to answer. And as Kirby Yates mentioned, it is a bit of a dangerous game just to try it in AAA and then figure it's going to work in the big leagues. Uh, I think they should have tested it in the spring training. But, you know, we'll see. I just do think it it'll be one of those things eventually where people just like, maybe don't notice it a ton because Austin Riley mentioned to me um, that talking to a few of the guys in AAA, like they like it. Uh, and, and just, I, I think eventually it's something we just don't notice a ton. Now to the shift. And it's going to be pretty simple. You only got three guys in the outfield now. You only got four guys in the infield. And they all have to stay in the infield on the dirt, or at least no farther back than the dirt. Two guys on each side of the base. As you can imagine, Matt Olson is a fan. Honestly, it's been so long since I haven't been shifted. It's going to be uh, kind of weird. Um, be weird to have the four hole open again. Um, yeah, you know, I think it's at the end of the day, if if we want more offense in the game, I, you know, I know you can you can sit there and say just hit the ball to third base, but um, you know, the guys pitch to you uh, knowing the way the defense is set up, so. Last thing they're going to do is give you a pitch to go over there. Um, I think it'll be good. And Austin Riley doesn't totally mind it either because he doesn't have to run into a shallow right field anymore. I always thought that I'm just a, not the extreme guy. Like I don't like the guy in right field. Like me going all the way in the right field grass, I was never four. Right. Um, just because I think it changes the game. I'm always you know I like to keep the game game. But Michael Harris says he likes it when they shift him. I really. I'd rather they shift, honestly, because if they're playing straight up, I might more than likely I'm getting out every time I hit a ground ball uh, in the infield. Bigger impact on the game, pitch clock or this? 
Um, ooh, that's a good question. Honestly, I think the pitch clock is probably more impactful in the conversations that are going to be had about it and the opinions that are going to be, you know, talked about. But, like, at the end of the day, I think people just get used to it. So I think the shift's got to be bigger. Like, I, I don't think most guys, like, most guys, at least that I talk to, like, they just don't mind the shift being restricted. But it's going to change the game in that, like, a guy like Michael Harris would just alter his approach if he were shifted. And that's why he said he'd honestly rather be shifted because he'd just go somewhere, hit it where they ain't. But uh, I think it's going to change the game because you're not going to have Austin Riley in shallow right field. They're not going to have Manny Machado down the right field line, which is something, you know, Austin Riley mentioned that he was not for. Um, was He wants to keep the game the game. And I think a lot of people, like, I think this is going to be more traditional. And I think people are going to, baseball fans who watch this game, you know, maybe not day in, day out, but, you know, a couple times a week, you know, watch it in general, are going to notice that your favorite left-handed hitter doesn't have to just sky one over the, the third baseman's head in right field and between the, you know, third baseman and the right fielder in right field. It just It's going to change the look of the game, and it's going to it's gonna mean that, honestly, we have better defensive plays, I think, because if a guy like Dansby Swanson's playing his natural position and is able to, like, let his athleticism play, um, it's going to be intriguing. Will the bigger bases change anything? Eh, I mean, the thing there was player safety, but I, like I, theoretically, like I guess it, it could lead to more stolen bases, uh, too. Like I, the bigger bigger bases could lead to more stolen bases, easier to steal bases. Um, you know, theoretically, like I know Matt Olson said, theoretically, if they're bigger, he should be out further, like on his stretch or a short like, throw. Right, right, exactly. And, like, it, you know, I, and so he said that he thought, like, maybe that, you know, it it helps solving some of the bang-bang plays, or but but I don't know. So it, I think it's mostly a player safety thing, and people are okay with that. Um, but I, I think m- maybe the base stealing is a little easier. I think that could be something baseball-wise that could happen or the bang-bang plays. Will this bring more running? All of these moves—the the, the shorter bases, the restriction of the shift, the the pickoff moves—you can only throw over twice now before it's a balk if you don't get them. Will this get the game? Will, will more running be involved in the game? Will be more that going to first to third, the slap hitter? Will that be brought back into the game, or is that dead forever? It'll be brought back into the game a little bit, but to what degree is a huge question. Because think about it like this. Guys these days get paid for what the game pays them for. So I once talked to a catcher who said that he used to be a 270 line drive hitter, uh, and that used to be his game. He'd stay through the middle of the field, and, you know, this was a few years ago. And he was like, now I just, you know, if I hit 220 and with 20 bombs, I get paid more. And that's <laughs> the way it is. The game values home runs, and if you're a pitcher, it values strikeouts. Um, so now it's going to be interesting to see how this changes it because the guys in the game, other than Michael Harris, Ronald Acuna, like there are some of them, but they don't get paid to steal bases. The thing in the game for the most part over the last decade is like, you're more valuable if you just stand on first and can get home on a gapper or are there for a two run home run. Uh, You don't want to run yourself into outs. There's been a lot of, you know, cautiousness 
caution revolving that. Um, and so, like, I don't know. Like, I think a guy, like a slap hitter, you know, might, you know, those ground ball guys or guys who hit it where they ain't are going to get, are going to be a little more valuable for sure. Um, but I'm not sure it's going to increase running a ton because guys are prototypes in this game based on, like, what the game pays them for. And there's, like, there's already not a ton of, like, variability uh, to the point where, you know, if a guy with Michael Harris's speed hit, you know, 220 with 10 bombs a year and didn't play as good a defense as he does, like, he'd just be a bench player and it'd be hard to stick. Um but, you know, I so I, I do think there's that part of it. Like, guys kind of go do what will get them paid, and that's not stealing bases. Like, I think base running could be a little better. It could be a little sped up, a little, you know, jump-started by this change. But I don't think it's going to completely change the game. What I am curious about, though, is usually, you know, what if that, that slap hitter, kind of that, that guy that can that contact guy is also a pretty good defender. Now you're going to need a second, you know, second baseman and, and shortstops who, you know, you can have mashers out there, but you're going to need a little bit of defense in those guys and a little bit of range. Um, and are those guys valued more now? Like those guys that we think of as a, you know, a utility infielder who plays pretty good defense, pretty rangy. Are they going to be valued more with this? Um, it's, it's going to be, I'll be fascinated to see how front offices deal with how the market pays the these guys based on the rule changes. All right, now just in time for the pennant chase, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution has its best offer of the year because we cannot do our work without your subscriptions. But we also understand that a lot of people are asking a lot of your dollar right now. So if you have not joined our community, this is a great time to give us a shot because for a limited time, we are offering unlimited digital access to everything the AJC has to offer for just 99 cents for the next six months. So you save 75 bucks over the next half year for the best journalism in Georgia, and you get access to all of our digital products. That's AJC.com, our newsletters, including the Braves Report and Mark Bradley's Buzz, the e-paper, and much more. So to take advantage of this deal, go to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. That is subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast so you always know what's really going on. All right, now look at what's up next. The Braves get done what they have to do with the interleague version of their West Coast trip. Now it's three with the Giants on Monday and then a homestand with the Phillies on Friday. And and despite all the chaos early on in Philadelphia, they are right in playoff position. Yeah, they have really turned that ship around, um, and they're playing great baseball. And they're probably going to secure a wild card spot, you would think. And if they do... The thing that makes them so dangerous is the fact that they can go, you know, Nola Wheeler in a yep. wild card series and then Gibson. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. that's that's dangerous when you've also got a lineup with Bryce Harper, uh, JT Real Muto, Alec Bohm, um, you know, Nick Castellanos. The, those guys can really mash. And, oh, you know, if they if they get seven or eight innings from a starter or even six good innings, it you know, they, they could really spoil somebody's October. All right, now time for the Ask Justin segment where we answer questions on Twitter at Justin C. Toscano. All right, buckle down, everybody. We're only going to take one question of your many, many, many responses you had about the Kenley Jansen situation. And Eric actually has the only question 
that needs to be answered at this point in the podcast because we hope we did everything up earlier for you at the top. Can Jansen cleanly take a snap on short yardage on third down? I think so. Kenley's got big hands, strong hands, good hands. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put my faith in him uh, to handle in the clutch there. Not sure if Justin saw it, uh, but that is uh, what led to the Falcons' uh, demise, which is um, just as dramatic on this Sunday. And if you need a rundown on what happened there, head over to the Bowtie Chronicles podcast also uh, from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. We will have that show up as well. Yeah, let's mention before we get to the next question that we're not writing anybody's obituary here. Uh, I know I know those Falcons guys, according to Arthur, Arthur Smith, might be writing them, but we, we haven't <laughs> written any on this podcast yet. No, there no, no obituaries written until November or mid-October. Next, from No Side GA. Does Snit have final say over players, or does Alex Anthopoulos also factor in? Yeah, the front office in the modern-day game factors in big time. Uh, I think, you know, Snit's got some leeway to make decisions in-game, but I think the front office, I'm not saying they script it, but I think they have a say in, in certain things, and that's just the way it is. Uh, for example, um, Snicker was asked today if Jake Odorizzi would make his next start, and he goes, I'm not the guy to ask. So that, that tells you pretty cleanly, but I think the front office has more and more control over game stuff, you know, and game management and planning these days too. Next question from Mark Spencer. Why is Odorizzi still pitching? Yeah, I mean, look, the Braves' rotation has been so good that Odorizzi stands out like a sore thumb, but I don't think he's that bad. This guy isn't a 6 or 7 ERA guy. He's not... He didn't have the type of stretch over the season like Ian Anderson did where, you know, before he got demoted. I think he's fine. As a fifth starter, he's fine. Yes, they have Moeller in AAA. They have Elder in AAA. They could use one of those guys for the next start. Like, I, I think – but I think when you have such a good team, I mean, there's like – you could go use one of those guys from AAA, but Odorizzi's a veteran. He's proven it. He looked – better in his last two starts I know one of them was against the Pirates I know there's frustration surrounding him and they certainly have options if they feel like they want to just like be cutthroat and you know you know they need to win the division and they feel like this is something that can put them over maybe we see Kyle Muller maybe we see Bryce Elder but uh I'm not I'm not sure about that um I think we might see Odorizzi make his next start from Paul S gonna go with the not obvious question when will the top of the lineup wake up yeah, that's a no. I let's just say I think I think they come back in a big way, uh, if not for the Giants series, but for the Philly series. Uh, the Phillies have a good top of the lineup. I think the Braves are going to show up there too. And it's really remarkable that we haven't talked about offensive struggles on this podcast in a while, given that the top of the lineup hasn't been terrific. They had the Riley home run today um, and a couple walks to set up the Harris homer. But I mean, yeah, it hasn't been great up there with the Cunha with you know Dansby at all times Dansby did have a home run in this series um but yeah I mean the bottom of the lineup they've gotten so much production from him all right from Brandon Harris with Acuna regularly appearing at DH how much of that is dictated by need inability to play in the outfield because of pain etc first preference preservation if it is preference is the plan to have him in right field in the playoffs yeah, I think if it were truly a dire need, he'd be on the injured list. Uh, I think it's mostly preference. I think they want to do this so they can have him as close to 100% as possible for the postseason. I see him playing right field in the postseason. I think that's why he's DHing now, so they can get something out of him and try to manage that need. Dustin Shropshire, what is the plan for Albies when he returns? DH? 
No, I think it could be, you know, he's a good second baseman. I think it could be a lot of second base, um, and you find somewhere for Grissom in the lineup. But you're going to see a lot of Grissom at second base, too, because I think they will work in Albies, uh, some DH, some second base. I don't think it'll be 100%, um, you know, either way, but I think he's going to get time at, at both while they ease him back in after the injury. Last one from Ryan Hutchins. Honest opinion about the Coliseum. Yeah, it was, I mean... I grew up in San Diego, so I had Qualcomm Stadium. Grew up going there and, like, even went to, like, San Diego State games there, Charger games there, like, when the stadium was kind of past due. But so I appreciate – all of that is to say I appreciate the old-school football stadium charm. And so I thought it was charming to see the Coliseum, and it was, like, awesome to be there. But the work environment just, like, wasn't – wasn't – you know, ter- it was it was pretty run down like you would expect. There were a lot of ants in the press box. Uh, it was pretty hot. I don't think there was AC in the press box. Things like that. Little old school things where I can see why they need a new stadium. Um, it was a pretty depressing place to watch two baseball games because there was no life, no energy. Uh, their team's bad. You feel bad for those fans. The stadium's run down. Uh, they need a new stadium. They, they haven't really maintained that one. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's not great even if I don't really want to, you know, publicly sneeze on somebody's stadium but I, I it's not great but i do appreciate some old school football stadium charm all right so that's where we'll leave it for here so uh enjoy your time in san francisco and we'll see you back here in atlanta by the end of the week yeah yeah we'll see you guys uh next week and uh thanks for listening and buckle up we've we've got a pennant race we got some special stuff coming up here on the podcast, too, which we'll start telling you about next week. But in the meantime, please rate, review, follow, share, and subscribe. That is what really helps us grow this show. And new episodes of the Braves Report come out every Monday from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. When you're looking for leading cardiac treatment, look to Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with five emergency cardiac care centers, so we're here when you need us most. We lead with more than 55 locations in Georgia. That means we're always in the heart of your neighborhood. We lead with clarity, because clear direction is better when it comes to understanding every step of your treatment. Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with heart. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com.